Hi friends and welcome to the second episode of the Idea of Us podcast. I'm super thankful and grateful that you're tuning in today. And um, maybe you've been lately feeling the same as I did. 2020 changed my perspective on friendship, community and connections. Specifically because within the last months we were not allowed to be around our loved ones. It really showed me how much people around me mean to me actually. It made me rethink as well what my responsibility in those relationships are, which actual steps I can take to cultivate friendship. But how do we actually do that? How do we cultivate adult friendship? And what does a good friend actually look like? This and many more we'll discuss today with an absolute expert on adulthood friendship, which is Kat Bellows. Kat Bellows is a user experience designer, an author and speaker, a coach and a facilitator. Her passion is to help people connect authentically. She's researched, designed and advised on the user experience of countless flows in digital products, serving millions of people at companies like Slack and Pandora and created a community for hundreds more as a facilitator. With her debut book, We Should Get Together, she turned her expertise in user research and experience design towards helping people live healthier lives through the cultivation of deeper, more fulfilling friendships. Her second book, Connected from Afar, gives you six months of weekly connection prompts that you can use to nurture your faraway friendships. So now you can understand why the excitement is real. We will talk about so many insightful things today. We will learn what hypertension has to do with friendship, what we mean when we talk about emotional pollution, what the 200-hour rule is, and how meaningful groceries can be. So now I hope you enjoy the show. So hi and welcome, Kat, to the hi. idea. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. Uh, so first of all, I'd like to start by asking you how you're doing. I am well. I am well. I am happy to have my health. I'm happy the sun is shining. And I have a big glass of water, so I'm staying hydrated. And yeah, I'm doing really good today. How about you? I'm doing very well as well. And uh, yeah, the weather is nice in the Bay Area and the sun is shining, as you said. So, so many positive things to look forward and out for. And um, so I would like to start with uh, a little bit why we're doing this podcast today. I went to your book launch from uh, the book We Should Get Together and to your book launch party <laughs> and I actually was just passing by in in the um, in the area because I'm not from Auckland and uh, I saw uh, that uh, there was something going on basically so I went into uh, the book launch and saw that uh, you were having the party and what it was about like what was your book about so for me at that time It really resonated because I relocated from one country to another or actually from one continent to another. And then I found a book <laughs> about friendship. And I would like to start with the quote that you put in into or with the signature that you put in my book, which was have a friendly 2020. <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, and I actually uh, love that because um, friendship means for me so much. And I learned that specifically while while I was being here and had to face other issues. So reading your book really helped me. And that's why I wanted to make sure to reach out to you to have you today on the podcast. So uh, thank you for saying yes. And thank you for joining today. So enough about uh, me and why I love your book. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's start. With what are the three words that define you and how you live your life? 
The three words that define me and how I live my life would be creativity, community, and connection. Several years ago, I actually had this on my personal business card because those are the three things that I stand for. Those are the three things that I guide my life with and that I am really committed to giving to the world and and helping to create and foster in the world. Were there moments in your life that you that you realized that those are the, the things that speak about you or? Well, I think that when I look at the experiences in my life that have been the most impactful and powerful, they are experiences of either creativity, community, or connection. And community and connection, it sounds like they're the same, but you can have connection without necessarily being in an experience of community. Like you can have one-on-one -on -one connection um, or connection with yourself or with nature or the earth. And so all of the really meaningful moments in my life involve one or more of those three words. Yeah, that sounds beautiful. As I said, I read your book, We Should uh, Get Together. And early in that book, you introduced the term uh, platonic longing. So can you share for people who haven't read your book, what you mean with that? Yeah, yeah. So We Should Get Together, for those who haven't read it, is an exploration of adult friendship. Um, it looks at the four biggest challenges that get in the way of friendship, as well as solutions and things that people can do to cultivate and have more successful and better friendships. And in my research, um, one of the things that came up very much in uh, my interviews, as well as a lot of the um, conversations and words that people use to describe that feeling of wanting friendship, like wanting closer friendship or more meaningful friendship or a group of friends, it wasn't that they felt lonely. Like they had people in their life, whether it was a partner, family, coworkers, they had acquaintances, they even had, you know, quote unquote friends. But what they were really craving for was this feeling of platonic connection. And so I use platonic longing. Um, I came up with that phrase and use it in the book because it's a more specific description of what is missing in people's life when they have that unrequited uh, friendship feeling. It's sort of like in our culture, we have a sense of unrequited love and there's like movies and rom-coms and all kinds of songs. And we have a sense of what it feels like to have unrequited love, but we don't have vocabulary around that unrequited craving for a platonic connection. And so I call that platonic longing. And I use that term specifically in the book because it, it doesn't always manifest as loneliness for people. Sometimes it does, but it's a, it's a discrete specific feeling that has to do with wanting that friendship love feeling. But why did you use the term platonic? Specific? Because platonic is a word that refers to a non-sexual relationship, which is a friendship. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, that's good. Good. Uh, that's a good aspect. I I didn't thought about it in that way, to be honest. But how is it different from from loneliness? Like, what would you say? Well, I think that platonic longing is like a subset, perhaps, of loneliness, or like adjacent to it. You know, loneliness being the you know craving, the un unmet need, or unfulfilled desire to have a, a sense of connection. And the reason why I specify with platonic longing is that uh, to use an example. There could be somebody who is in a romantic relationship. Maybe they're a parent, they have a partner, they have a lot of love in their relationship, their romantic relationship. They have a lot of love with their kids or with their family around them. But what is missing in that picture for them is a real meaningful sense of connection to friends. And so that person may not identify as lonely because they have people that they love around them, you know, on a regular basis. But the unmet need there is around 
a platonic connection and friendship. And that's why I use a specific term for mm-hmm. that. And do you think that is um, because in, in your book, you speak a little bit about technology as well, not just a little bit, but more in more in depth about the impact of it. Mm-hmm. Do you think, can you explain the relationship? Well, the sections of the book that I talk more about technology isn't necessarily saying that technology is bad or that it's like the reason why people are not having the friendship that they want in many ways like technology is good it's just a tool that can be used in any particular way and it's the way that you use it that determines whether or not it's a force for good in your life or or it's a negative impact and so when i talk about that in there one of the main things i'm really suggesting that people look at is how are they using those digital tools and if those tools are not creating the type of connection and bonding and closeness that they want to either put down that tool and use something else like a one-on-one conversation or sharing an experience together or to be more conscious and aware of the way that observing a friend's life on social media might make you feel like you know what's going on with them or you're up on their life because you got these like snippets of information about like some picture they posted or something they tweeted. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you know the full story of what's happening in their emotional world, in their mind or in their heart. And so it's important to reach out and actually be in communication with that person, not just through observing their life passively on a social media platform. I could not agree to that more, Kat. <laughs> that, is a, that is so important. Um, but let's talk a little bit more about loneliness. There's one um, statement in your book that is for me personally a very strong statement that I would like to talk about. Uh, you say that um, loneliness is the emotional pollution of our time uh, and it's all around us. So can you maybe a little, a little bit elaborate more on what you mean with that? Yeah, so in this case, when I'm making a reference to loneliness as emotional pollution, I was making an analogy to pollution in the atmosphere being that some people argue that the world was more, more polluted in the past Um, And some people argue that the world is more polluted now, but regardless of whichever of those is correct, the right amount of pollution is zero, none. It's not good for the earth. And similarly, you know, loneliness and the quote, the loneliness epidemic um, has been used in media and news articles and the medical profession for since the seventies, if not longer. And I'm not trying to argue in the book that people are more lonely now than they were in the past or vice versa. Loneliness is biologically necessary. It lets us know that there's a social deficiency in our life and it lets us know that we're being malnourished socially and emotionally. And so the consequence of that, just like pollution is bad for the earth, the consequence of chronic loneliness can range from disease and illness, such as chronic inflammation, depression, hypertension, uh, which is high blood pressure, poor cognitive function and depression, and then later in life, dementia. And it can even lead to suicide. And with more than half of the country, just over half of the people in the United States right now are reporting that they feel lonely on a regular basis. I consider that just as um, just as impactful as if there was a lot of pollution that was like strongly affecting everyone, like half of the people in the country. Chronic loneliness creates a stress in the body that is as bad for your help for your system as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And obviously smoking puts pollution into your lungs and the emotional impact of loneliness produces the same negative health outcomes. And so that's why I make the analogy 
to calling it emotional pollution. I really like the way you, you said it because it makes, and even though, like the way you explain it, it makes a lot of sense. But I didn't know, like besides when I read about it, that it can have so many effects on your health. Often we think that our mental state has nothing to do with basically, for instance, there's no, no, not a lot of relationship between how I'm feeling and maybe blood pressure. Hypertension, mm -hmm. like you said, right? So um, to to see and understand that it has so much impact on me uh, as a as a human being and on my health makes me actually reconsider the next time I say no to brunch. <laughs> it definitely uh, shows that we need people around us. It makes sense to to have the right community around you, right? The right friends. Is there a little bit of research about that as well? Yeah, I mean, it's important to surround yourself with people that you feel meaningfully connected to. Like, quantity doesn't matter as much as quality. And so it doesn't just matter that you're, you know, around people. That doesn't necessarily mean that you feel connected. It doesn't mean that you're going to feel the benefit of connection and, and genuine, authentic, meaningful engagement. And so I would say focus on the quality of those connections and cultivating that rather than just trying to know like 10,000 people. That doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. So I want to speak a little bit about a social experiment that I saw that you did a couple of years ago, if I'm not mistaken, where you said you tested something new on a regular basis in your free time to just change up. You called it your blah time. So it's <laughs> free time that you don't, uh, that you want to incorporate, uh, some diversity. Can you a little bit tell us about the, like, what were your thoughts? Why did you do, why did you do that? Yeah. So this is um, an experiment. I've actually done it twice in my life. I did it once around like 2008 for two years, actually. Um, and then I did it again recently, a few years ago when I was feeling like really, yeah, feeling the blah. So like in my spare time, I was just feeling kind of not just bored, but like disengaged. And I don't like that feeling. I like to feel engaged and alive and curious and alert and, and interested in a lot of things. And I was like, man, why am I feeling like life is just really monotonous? I was like, oh, go to work, come home, go to work, come home, maybe exercise. And so what I purposely do when I find myself periodically in that situation um, and that I had written about in that Medium post you're referring to is being more intentional in how I was designing my life so that I could feel the things I wanted to feel, which was like engaged and alert and curious and excited. And so the, ex the way the experiment works is for you pick a certain amount of time, whether it's one month or six months, like I mentioned, I did it once for two years and you break that time into chunks and then on each chunk, you give yourself a different assignment to do something new, something different, something you don't normally do and to do it in a habitual way. So the examples that I had put in the medium post were like I did for um, one month, I was like, well, I'm, or I, I can't remember if it was like a few weeks or a month for each experiment, but I was like, I'm not somebody who normally goes to Zumba class. I tried it a long time ago. Wasn't my thing. So I was like, I'm going to pretend that I'm someone who's really into Zumba <laughs> and I'm going to go to that class like regularly. And then uh, I think another one was like, I, one thing I always wanted to learn how to do that I hadn't ever tried was to make scones at home. Like when I would go to the bakery and get a scone, I really liked it, but I always think like, surely I can make this myself. And so 
it seemed like it was so tasty. It would be like really hard to do. But then I was like, no, I'm going to be someone who knows how to make scones. And so I like found a recipe and I did it. And it was actually way easier than I thought it was going to be. Um, So I made my like ginger scones. They were delicious. When I did the experiment some years ago, I also, when I did it for two years, for every month, I gave myself a different challenge that was either a creation, creativity challenge or a deprivation challenge. So uh, some examples of like a creativity challenge were like, I for one month I sewed like every other day and I taught myself how to sew fabric hats without using a pattern by just figuring it out. And then, or like I had a creation challenge to like take an artistic photo every day or to write a poem every day. And then a deprivation challenge would be like the month I went without eating sugar or the month where I only gave myself one hour of internet per week to do in my free time. Um, (laughs) How did that work? One hour of internet. (laughs) It was a challenge, like obviously, and I and I specified like in my free time because at my job I had to use the internet. But when I wasn't working, I said like I'm not allowed to use the internet more than once a week, so I had to keep a timer. And every time I went on the internet, I set the timer and turned it on and, and tried not to go over it. Um, and it made me a lot more intentional about how I was using my free time and how I was um, what I was focused on by seeing how quickly the minutes racked up. It really um, illustrated like how much time we can spend online if we're not paying attention or tracking how how long that's taking. Yeah. And then there was the week that like my car broke down, like my car wouldn't start. And so I had to go on the internet to like get my car towed. And I was like using up all my minutes trying to find like a garage I could tow my car to. (laughs) Uh, That was pretty funny. But it worked. That is the amazing thing actually about it, right? It worked for you. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it was great. I recommend it if if someone's feeling like disengaged from life or bored or like things are monotonous is like shake it up, like do different things. Like don't just like live your life on this like hamster wheel. It's like it never changes. Like get curious about the world, get curious about yourself, get curious about other people and try different things. Even if it's things that you think you'll hate, like you might actually find something that you like about it or you might learn something about yourself in the process. It's a very great article. (laughs) I think I will try this. That uh, for 2020, specifically in in times right now, we I think the time that we're spending alone, it makes sense to, um, or it's nice to shake it up a little bit, as you said, to find ways to do something different and see how it it feels. What I want to know that what is for me interesting, specifically in terms of the podcast and the, the mission that I I'm going for, is always to be in balance. What does a right balanced friendship look like from your perspective? I think that it's important for friendships to feel balanced and what that looks like would be the same qualities of showing up as a good friend or as a good friend to somebody else and that, you know, most people want their good friends to show up for them in in the same way. So for example, a lot of the traits that are qualities of good friendships involve things like reciprocity and trust and caring and being vulnerable Uh, having openness to the other person and being open yourself and opening your life to them, being dedicated, being, you know, reliable, giving and receiving equally. Um, Even if it's not perfectly equally, it's not like you have to weigh on a scale or something, but it should feel like both people are invested in co-creating this mutually fulfilling friendship and relationship that can be a source of support and growth for both people. You know, it shouldn't only be one way where only one person is offering the support and the trust and the dedication and the listening and the reaching out and like 
checking in, that that would be imbalanced and it and it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel like the other person cares in return if they're only ever in the receiver role. And so having some self-awareness about how you're showing up as a person, how you're showing up as a friend, how you're showing up in conversation is really, really important to make sure that you are being as good of a friend as hopefully your friend is being to you and to have conversations with each other every, every so often just to check in and say like, Hey, like, is there anything I can do to like show up for you better? Is there something that you need from me that I'm not doing or that you want me to do differently? Just like we might in a romantic relationship. I think it's important to offer that to our friends as well. How can I, uh, as for instance, uh, a new person in an environment can create qualitative friendship? Could you give a tip that you could share with our listeners in that regard? So for a high quality friendship, it would involve the same things I was just describing in the previous question around what a well-balanced friendship looks like. So there's trust, there's caring, there's a vulnerability and people being willing to open up about themselves and to open up their life and their schedule to involve the other person, being dedicated and being reciprocal in nature in their interactions. Um, all of those things are proven qualities of high quality friendships and relationships. And so cultivating those traits and qualities in a friendship is going to make it a more high quality engagement and a more meaningful experience for each other. And I think from there, it's really getting to know each other as people and meeting each other, you know, with some of my friends, they're more playful and more silly. And so I can be more playful and silly when I'm with them. And other of my friends are more serious and calm and stoic. And so we have like more serious philosophical conversations. And so um, meeting each other where each where you're at and also inviting each other to step into new ways of being is an important part of having balance and adding quality to each other's lives. It, it is not always uh, easy to build good friendships and long-lasting friendships because I remember in your book you said there's a, a rule, a 200-hour rule that you were talking about. If so not- it comes from uh, research by a professor named Dr. Jeffrey Hall at the University of Kansas who tried to isolate exactly how many hours it takes to form an acquaintance, a friend, and a good friend or a best friend. And in his research, um, he did find that it took you know, 200 to 300 hours of quality time to go from being complete perfect strangers to being best friends or close friends. And this was under the condition certainly of like looking at undergraduates in a college campus who were spending a lot of time together, going to classes together, studying in study groups together, spending their free times and weekends together. And so in that amount of hours, they were able to very quickly form these close bonds. Well, quickly meaning how much how much of that 200 300 hours can you dedicate uh front and so it's his research is what it is i hesitate to use the words that it's a rule i don't believe <laughs> that there are rules that are hard and fast for every single person I, i people are different and so things are different and one of the offerings that i make in the book is a new way of looking at how to achieve a close friendship in adulthood when you don't have as much free time as a college freshman who's just hanging out on campus. And so I propose a concept called hydroponic friendship, which is to say, if you're short on time, here are things that you can do to ramp up the depth and meaning of your friendships in a shorter amount of time. It's not going to take five hours. It's still going to take a while. But if you make time for each other and you practice uh, emotional 
and personal disclosure and vulnerability and like really getting to know each other on a deeper level and build trust and have safety, you can feel a lot closer to somebody who previously was a stranger uh, in a much shorter amount of time than just 200 hours. And of course, it takes dedication to maintain that friendship. It doesn't mean like, oh, we hung out for the weekend, so we're best friends now, and I'm not going to talk to you again for seven months. Their friendship's just going to fizzle out. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, you have to be dedicated to um, being in touch on a regular basis and being there for each other on a regular basis where you're not just talking about the weather, but you're actually talking about things that matter to you. I love how much uh, valuable insight you give about that topic. I, for me personally, I can like I get so many so many tools and thoughts how I can address and think about friendship differently. So I uh, read or no, I can definitely feel that your mission is to help help people to cultivate friendships, uh, specifically in regards uh, of health. We talked about it previously that it directly impacts it, and maybe you can talk a little bit more about. Uh, about uh, why it is your mission, why it is important for you. And you are a connection coach as well. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Yes. So uh, as a connection coach, what my work is, is helping people identify what the blockers are to authentic connection in their life and helping them face those and acknowledge them so they can transform that block into an opportunity for growth. And by growing as a human being and willing, being willing to push past the limitations that you have, that increases your potential as a human being. And it's also, when we're working on connection, can bring more meaningful uh, relationships and friendships into your life that have a greater sense of depth and purpose. So those are some of the things that I work with people on in uh, individual or group work. And I'm really happy to say that like I'm working mostly with women right now. And a lot of them are saying that like in as little as like three weeks, they're feeling this sense of opening and this sense of not just relief that things are changing or that they're feeling more capable of change, but they're feeling like optimistic and excited about things that they can try and new things that they can do to have more authentic connection in their life. It is such a, it's so interesting because we need help sometimes with uh, just building good connections. And if someone would like to reach out to you, how could they reach out to you? So yeah, people can find me um, on my website, which is we should get together.com. Um, they can also find me on Instagram, much like you did, where um, my name is Kat Velos underscore author or on Twitter at Kat Velos. And yeah, I welcome anybody to reach out. There's a query form on my website, we should get together.com if someone's interested in coaching or being a part of a group program and um, they can fill out the query form. We'll have a short conversation on the phone. I want to get to understand a little bit more about them and where they're at. And if it lines up with our schedules and, and everything, then we could potentially work together. How is it for the, the you said you do that in group form and a pers on, on personal basis as well. Uh, are they building connections in that group from as well with, within each other. Yeah. yeah, that often does happen as well. You have many talents. <laughs> you are a UX designer, a connection coach, an author uh, and speaker. And uh, you brought out a second book, <laughs> Connected From Afar. I think um, the title couldn't be better <laughs> uh, specifically right now. Um, and I, uh, what I like about it is you implement creative activities. You do that in your first book as well. You give some some tactics and tools and some good questions that you can use as a as a reader to build uh, connections. Then in your second book, you did it more about activities 
maybe you can share a little bit what the incentive was. So the follow-up book, the addendum connected from afar, includes some of the content that was left out of We Should Get Together, which was more focused on face-to-face connection or in real life. But a lot of people's friends are very far away. And so I had some people who were like, I need advice for like what to do with my faraway friends. They all live in different states. Or certainly like some folks were like, Kat, I need help with my friendship, but I don't really read books. So what are some things I could do? I'm not going to read the first book, but just tell me what to do. Um, And certainly when the COVID-19 pandemic uh, broke out, you know, we couldn't meet up face to face. And so um, it was really important for people to not just feel like, you know, their friendships were going to get really stale, uh, just having like repetitive small talk on Zoom forever. And so Connected from Afar is much more action oriented. It's not like a chapter book. You open it up. There's six months of weekly connection prompts that people can use with their friends. Um, as you mentioned, a lot of the content in there is activity based. So it might be a writing activity, a journaling activity, art activity conversation prompts, like different things that are meant to be done with another person. So you don't necessarily, it's not a book you read by yourself and then suddenly all your friendships get better because you read that book. You have to actually take action. And so so that's how it's set up. It doesn't have to be done in any particular order. Um, you can open it up, flip to an activity that you like, and then invite a friend to do it with you. Some of them uh, can take as little as five or 10 minutes. And some of them can take like an hour, depending on how deep you want to go. And it's really quite delightful. I've had people um, from all over the world actually reach out and say like, I'm trying it with my friends and it's really helping. Or I feel so much closer to my childhood best friend now, or I'm trying it with a new friend who moved away. And it's really uh, lovely to hear that very quickly, it's actually possible to add new life to existing friendships with a little bit of intention and creativity. (laughs) <laughs> yes, that's uh, it, there is a little bit of a pattern. It's for you. It's about being active as well, like being, and you transmit that in your in your two books in similar but different ways. Because as you said, the second one is more like a workbook, and I would like to know because, as I said, you are a UX designer as well. How did that affect your research and writing of the book? Because for me, it looks like if one wants to read, as you said, like you you give the option, and people maybe they don't. Some people don't like to to read books. They they are more uh, they are more they they want to be doing something effectively, right? Rather than taking the time and enjoying a book. For them, you offer uh, a different alternative. So for me, it looks like you you're giving us two different options if we want to, but in addition as well. Maybe you can speak a little bit bit about that. Yeah, I think you've actually. I don't have anything to add. I think you've described it perfectly. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just uh, I just love the concept because, as I said, for me, friendship is a, is a very qualitative term. But you give us ways in how to look at it, look at it from a scientific perspective, and uh, how to action on it. Because a, a lot of those books that try to help you, I think, miss exactly that point. So okay, now I know what my problem is. Now I know I kind of what know what to do, but you give us steps to action on them, and you bring into uh, into that as well illustrations for a visual person like me that at least like to admire mm-hmm. <laughs> a visual um, visual communication. Uh, I think um, that is so that is so beautiful. So I just wanted to. That's more a comment than that is a question. I acknowledge that. Thank you. <laughs> But um, yeah, so 
but maybe you can talk in terms of a designer, like how was that process for you? Yeah, so my professional work is as a user experience designer, uh, commonly called a UX designer. And when you're doing that work for a product or a service or a website, you know, it really involves using empathy, research and design to help solve a problem for people and help them, uh, whether it's completing a task or trying to solve any particular problem. It can be like with a physical object like wheelchair, or it can be with like a digital product, like a website or an app. And so what you want is to make whatever somebody needs to accomplish or do there as easy and intuitive as possible, as simple as possible so that they don't encounter frustration and so that they don't have a lot of errors or mistakes. And so that is the work that I do uh, professionally. And when I was looking at friendship, I was like, wow, there are a lot of UX problems here. Um, There's a lot of frustration that people are feeling. There's a lot of difficulty that people are having with this task of forming and maintaining friendship during adulthood. And so I treated it the same as I would any other user experience problem and applied that same level of like empathy and qualitative research by doing a lot of interviews with people and um, surveys and things to really get at the root of like, what is getting in the way here? And what are things that people can do to either remove that, you know, thing that's impeding them or to work around it um, so that they can still achieve the success that they're going for with connection. And so when I do that at, you know, for work work with my clients as a UX designer, or when I do that, when I'm redesigning the experience of friendship, or when I think about using design in general for good in the world, it really is all focused on figuring out, yeah, where people struggle and being of service by redesigning processes to make people more successful. Anytime that we have a chance to use our empathy and creativity to be of service to people into the world, I think that's using design for good. And that is my intention always in the work that I do. Yeah, design for good. (laughs) And another word for friendship is for me, community. So I would like to know the community that you're building, what kind of community that is for you, and which role do you play uh, within that community? Well, I've run a couple of different community groups, one for Bay Area Black designers and another uh, for people who want more authentic connection and friendship in their life that kind of goes under the umbrella of We Should Get Together and Better Than Small Talk, which is an event I've been doing off and on for a number of years. And to me, my definition of community really means a group of people who are mutually supportive of each other and dedicated to the growth and success of each member in that community. In our common world today, community often means to a lot of people just like affiliation. It's like, oh, like we're both in the queer community or we're both in the artist community or we're both in the musician community. And Mm -hmm. like people can use identities as a marker of community if they share that trait with another person who shares that trait or identity or hobby. I think that's really different. Like we use the same word, but I think it can mean two different things. So one Mm -hmm. being that identity affiliation or, or what I'm really getting at, which is a relationship, which is a mutually beneficial relationship that each person in that community plays uh, in the caring and growth and support of each person. And so those are the two differences that I think are present when we try to define community. And I think it's really important, you know, 
it's how humans have survived for hundreds of thousands of years. And it's how we continue to thrive, which is uh, by being in community and looking out for each other and being there to support each other. And it's really necessary to our health and well-being, as we've already discussed uh, the health impacts of not having community and not being connected to people. So that's what I, that's what I think community is. And that's why I believe it matters. In that community, I would like to know what do you want to be remembered for? And that's a question I actually read in your book as well, which was one of the small talk, better than small talk questions. <laughs> in the, in the um, At the end of, um, of your book, give some tips for people how to communicate better. So I want to take that question and ask it to you. <laughs> yeah, so I would want to be remembered for using my creativity to help other people find connection and meaning in their lives. Yes. <laughs> that goes back to what you said in the beginning, actually. When we talk about relationships, uh, which we just did, what is one beautiful thing someone has done for you? And in that, in that regard, why are you grateful for this experience or how did it impact you? So one beautiful thing uh, that comes to mind that I periodically remember was a, a real act of kindness that a friend did for me. Yeah, this was years ago when um, I had recently moved to the West Coast and my job hadn't started yet. So I had a few weeks where I was here, but I this was up in Seattle and I hadn't yet started working. I didn't have my paychecks coming in yet and I needed groceries and I did not have a lot of money <laughs> um, at that time. And my friend Shatara, she surprised me by going to the grocery store and she bought like two full, like overflowing bags of groceries with like, oh my God, like so much food and so much like yummy stuff. And there was like treats and tea and sandwich stuff and breakfast stuff and fruit and vegetables. Like it was just like this beautiful, beautiful gift. And she brought it to my house and was like, this is a gift for you. And I just cried. I was like, that is the kindest, sweetest thing. Even like thinking about it right now, I'm like getting choked up Aww. because it was just like such a beautiful gift of not just saying like, like I didn't ask for that. She just knew what my situation was and she had the means to go to the store and like buy me groceries. Cause like, it wasn't like I didn't have nothing to eat, but I it was just going to be like a little tight, you know, for a couple of weeks. But she just like was so generous and so thoughtful. And she like picked out things that she really loved to eat. So I got to try like all different foods that I never buy that I ever bought. And so it was just like this gift that was like a gift of her and her heart and her kindness. And, you know, certainly like her diet, <laughs> like the food she picked. Um, and I, I just really, really was moved by that act of thoughtfulness and generosity. And um, it's one of the most beautiful things that anyone ever did for me. And I still remember it. That was probably like, that was over 10 years ago. And I still think it's like one of the most beautiful things and kindest things that anyone has ever done for me. Wow. That is beautiful. That's very empathetic of her as well to just, just feel, okay, there's there's uh, my friend in in sort of a need, mm-hmm. but and that you just cherish that moment t- till today. Actually, ten years. That's <laughs> that's beautiful. Thanks for sharing, Kat. Thank you. Yeah, very you're much. welcome. So we're going towards the end of our podcast, and I would like to ask two more questions. One is a very big one. Do you believe humans are good? I do, and I 
answer that way because despite a lot of uh, terrible and cruel things that humans do to each other now, I believe that when you look at a baby or, you know, an innocent little toddler who's like walking around the world and, and just new to this life, every baby, every human that's born, I believe is good. And it's really just a matter of very bad learning or experiences, bad experiences that ends up corrupting that innocence and that goodness. Um, but I do believe that each person is born good and beautiful. And, and that is what I believe about humanity. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a big philosophical question. Another question, uh, what I would like to ask you is, what is your idea of us, your ideal idea of us? And that's why where I want to end this podcast with you. I think the idea of us comes back to what we were discussing earlier about community. I read a quote the other day that I really liked, pointed out that if you replace I with we, even illness becomes wellness. And that's a really beautiful reminder that we need each other. We need each other now and we always will. Beautifully said. Um, thank you so much. Um, I, I want to take this time to thank you again, Kat. Uh, you are my first interview partner. partner. <laughs> you had a lot of patience with me. And um, I thank you for your guidance as well and for your time today. You gave us so many beautiful in insights <laughs> in, in your work, in your personality, and how you actually want to help. That means a lot for me. <laughs> thank so, you so much, Jake. I really appreciate you inviting me to come on the show and for doing what you're doing. I am so, so grateful for all the things Kat taught me today and shared with us. All the beautiful research, the tools, the tactics, and the reminders that explain why we should get together. Specifically in times like now, where we are so far from each other, but so close as a global community, I think we're understanding more and more how meaningful connections are. But cultivating them is not as easy as we thought. But we learned today, it takes time, it takes effort, it takes care, it takes balance, and it takes presence. When we speak about presence, we talk about technology and how it impacts it. And I don't want to be a hypocrite right now because that's the tool that I'm using, but the question is more about how we use it. And as Kat beautifully said, sometimes we should just put that tool down. I want to end this show with one thought today. If it makes me happy and healthy to have good friends around me, it makes someone else happy and healthy if I'm being a good friend to them. If that does not add beautifully to the idea of us, then I don't know what does. I would love to hear your thoughts about this show today and what you think about friendship. You can connect with me over Instagram on the idea of us that pot. And as always, I wish you much love and light. Yeah, Daga.